one of my things that really makes me passionate is when when you meet patients that either have their life is debilitating because they have no teeth you know they cannot eat they cannot smile um or they are they have periodontally involved teeth and it's changing their life for the negative and you know if you can help a few of those patients change their lives and have a better quality of life. I mean, how valuable actually is that? Hello, and welcome back to episode one of series two of The Smar Revolution, a podcast dedicated to oral health promotion with a mission to inspire dental hygienists, dental therapists, and the dental profession in your career. I'm Victoria Wilson, a dental therapist, and the poignant dental professional I have the pleasure of interviewing this week is Melanie Preble, who is a dental therapist from the UK. I have invited Mel onto the show for the reason she has continued to be a prominent colleague in my professional life since we met about 10 years ago. Mel qualified from the London Hospital in Whitechapel in 1995 as a dental therapist and has such a wealth of experience to share. Mel has supported me in a huge way throughout the years by simply always being at the end of a phone or someone who is always there with the best advice. On today's show, the underlying thread through Mel's conversation is never underestimate your value as a professional. She speaks at length about the necessity to continuously understand your value and its importance throughout your career. Some of the highlights in this interview include interviewing techniques, asking why when you receive a no, feeling comfortable with yourself, the importance of listening, working with zero compromise and so much more. This podcast is for all dental hygienists and dental therapists who are continuously striving to gain the recognition they deserve for the value they bring. Through listening to our conversation, I hope you learn, gain inspiration and ideas for furthering your career paths, supporting oral health promotion to achieve oral health for all. Along with series one, series two is brought to you by Dentsply Serona, who share a vision to promote a lifetime of oral health around the world through driving prevention to empowering hygienists and dental therapists and the dental profession. As the partner and sponsor, they have made the dream in my head a reality to produce the Smile Revolution podcast for you, the listeners. Similar to many of my listeners, a Cavatron has been in my hand since qualifying. But I have to be honest, it's only in more latter years that I've truly understood how to maximise on its use thanks to the smart scaling courses through the Dense Blycerona Academy. I've honestly learned so much. I've met a network of people who have become friends as well as colleagues, and many of them have already been on the show. But specifically now, for you, the listeners, they are offering an incredible 50% discount 
to attend the Dense Fly Serena Academy on the 27th of March 2020. So visit denseflyserona.com forward slash smartrevolution for details on this special training day at the Dense Fly Serona Academy and use the exclusive subscriber code SMILE5. Mel, welcome on to the Smile Revolution podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show today. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Victoria. I'm really excited. Just for the listeners to create the setting, I am at home in my working environment and Mel is also at home on a Monday. Monday lunchtime it is now. And... Mel has kindly agreed to be recorded in her very busy, on her very busy Monday, as I know a Monday is always busy because it's a non-clinical day. Is that right, Mel? That's absolutely correct. So yes, I'm at home in my non-clinical working environment, which is actually my dining room. And a Monday is a very, very busy day for me because I do lots of catch-up time, lots of admin. As you know, Victoria, we speak often on a Monday. It's our Monday catch-up time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So without further ado, for the listeners, I think we've got something extremely exciting that you are going to be sharing with them today that I hope they will find very useful. And essentially, what Mel has decided to speak about on the podcast today and I think is really well needed for hygienists, dental therapists within practice, dentists in general, is to discuss how to overcome certain obstacles and understanding your value. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I think I've sort of reflected on my career really and worked out what works well and what hasn't worked well. And I've managed to channel that into practices that I've worked in. So I thought it would be really nice to share my experiences and explain a little bit about what I expect when I take on a new job in a new practice and um, what the practice may may expect of me. But most importantly, um, I want to get across how, you know, how it's really, really important to stick to your values and principles as a hygienist and a therapist when you take on any role, because we commonly see so many practices where the hygienists are working really, really hard and stuck in some kind of rut. I don't know what it is, but I wanted to explore that really and talk about my experiences of how I've overcome certain challenges, as I'm sure many others have along the way. And that essentially, Mel, as well, is the reason for the Smile Revolution podcast for people like yourselves to share what you've learnt along the road, how you've overcome these obstacles. And I was speaking, as I spoke to you earlier, to a girl literally a couple of days ago, you know, facing challenges within practice at the moment and just not knowing how to implement. They know where they want to be, but how to actually get there. It's hard. And you can become a bit demotivated and it's it's not easy. So understanding as well how you've overcome certain obstacles. And like you say, when you go for a new job, knowing maybe how to start to formulate the best processes within the new practice would be great. So far yeah. away. So Mel, I mean, you've been practicing how many years now? Uh, I've been practicing for 25 years. 
And mainly the first part of my career was as a hygienist. And then when therapists were able to work in practice, I then started to use my therapy skills as well. I still do predominantly hygiene services. So I do a lot of perio treatment and I work in multidisciplinary practices. So I'm working alongside specialists. And so the the team ethic and value is very high and very important to me personally. And I think, you know, as you quite rightly said, it's very important to you personally as I'm, I'm sure for so many listeners, you know, but actually getting to that point and replicating what necessarily your vision is or how you feel it should be is the challenge. So Absolutely. what would you say have been the greatest challenges that you've faced in your career path to date? Should we go through them maybe one by one and how you've overcome it? <laughs> Yeah, the first greatest challenge the <laughs> first greatest challenge was actually passing my exams I had to study <laughs> so hard you know as many of us do and I had a bit of a baptism of fire but you know once I got a role I got to the end and I got my registration I went out into that big wide world I was bright-eyed bushy-tailed and I had a few different jobs you know for each day of the week and let me tell you I thought I'd made the worst decision of my life I just thought oh my goodness, what have I done? This is awful. I am working, I'm seeing patients every 20 minutes. I am not doing what I learned at school. You know, I was taught prevention as we were. We're advocates of prevention and it it kind of is in our blood, you know, it's in our veins to impart that to our patients. And then when you go into uh, general practice, often most of the important factors you just don't have time for, you're kind of scaling and polishing. And I'm talking 25 years ago, right? So we've moved on in some ways, but I just sat down and thought, I've ruined my life. I really worked. I did two years of all that studying. What on earth am I going to do? I cannot see myself doing this forever you know and it really it really frightened me really frightened me well I I can totally relate to what you're saying it frightened me too and listeners I think some of you listening will be definitely relating to what you're saying it's hard and it's that first two years you think oh my goodness and how do I get it right yeah It's, it's it is a shock and I think you know I went I moved jobs I just changed jobs until I felt I found my fit and I I stumbled across a practice that I felt was right for me and it wasn't you know it no job is the perfect job but you've got to ask yourself what you bring to that team and how you're going to give them what you've got in that team and and be a bit forthright about it really I would say in experience I think especially when we're perhaps newer qualified we think we should go in and mold into the team where actually we need to be a part of that team and empowered to bring what we have as part of their their systems processes and philosophy and things so for me early on in my career i i stumbled across across a very very good practice where we were treating patients on the nhs and privately but very well supported by dental health educators and nurses so i've always worked assisted i've never worked without a nurse apart from the first year of my life where I thought my life was over basically (laughs) but you know that wasn't the defining thing having a nurse but I realized really quickly how 
much more effective and efficient I was at my job when I was fully supported by everybody else. And, um, you know, I was able to practice hygiene on patients and have the support of health educators to help me with the prevention side of things. So that was a big shift for me. And then that that, that, that for me elevated my thinking and it made me realise, you know, um, you've got to value yourself firstly and you've got to value your profession and um you know it's not just a job to me personally as I'm sure it isn't to many I that's a very high value for me that I am always giving my best to the patients because there's a price tag attached to that and um so true I, I value the service that I give very highly I'm I'm experienced at it now and my patients get a good service and that comes at a price and I'm very comfortable with that over time I've become comfortable with fees and how we have to ask for the patients to pay for the service within the environment I work in I appreciate not all environments are like that but that's one thing that's really key to me is feeling comfortable with yourself um, value of your profession amongst the profession you know we are good at what we do we're trained really highly to deliver a very special set of skills to patients and it comes at a price and that's what I think is really important to embrace. I think you've highlighted two extremely good points there you know I know when I first qualified because you don't charge at dental school how can you justify charging the patient maybe the fees that you consider is really quite high Um, and it's a case of like you say valuing that skill set and also being forthright going into a practice knowing your value now, what advice would you give from your experience, Mel, for newly qualified, it doesn't have to be newly qualified, but hygienist therapists going and starting maybe into a, in a new practice, they feel that maybe this is the right practice for them. Um, being forthright, knowing their values, like how do you, because the process possibly when you go there is not going to be what you'd ideally like it to be, the ideal setup. What tactics would you advise they maybe use or what have you learned along the way that would help them in implementing maybe soft changes at the beginning? Yeah, okay. It's a really good question, Victoria. I mean, um, hindsight's a wonderful thing. So I can say, you know, what I've found has has worked for me and what hasn't. Uh, uh, Initially, you know, if you're newly qualified, I think you're looking to find out what support you've got as a newly qualified individual what what expectations does that practice have on you? Are they planning to put you in a room and not let you out until five? Or are they planning to support you on your journey to being the best you can be? Because we all have to learn along the way. And we're all still learning. I'm 25 years still learning, you know, and it's being open to that, but knowing you've got the support. So I think that would be a good thing to consider when you are at an interview stage. Absolutely. What... What relationship are you developing or have you got with that principal at the interview? Because if you've got good rapport with that person, you've got more chance of that job working out. I think we don't trust our sixth sense enough. You know, you go for a job you think doesn't feel right for me. I think you should trust your instincts most definitely. Yeah. And um, establishing, like you've just said, that relationship at the beginning. Yeah, I think, you know, go in maybe you know say what you'd like to achieve within the practice and what you can bring so um I think it's 
really important to know what skills you have that you're really good at that maybe the practice can utilize. Um, I would always look at the schedule at the interview interview. So looking at the appointment book to see what it already looks like. Um, is it really busy? Is it booked out for months ahead? Are you going to be rammed for months and exhausted? Or is it, you know, how are they scheduling? It's getting a feel for how the practice is running. Is it how you envisage working? Um, and be clear from the outset what, what equipment you require, what's in the, what's in the arrangement. I, I mean, I don't go for an interview, Victoria. I go to interview because as far as I'm concerned, I I've got to say. decide if I'm going to work there. And if they don't like me, they're going to say, no, you don't get the job anyway. So I'm that's my attitude. I'm going to see if I want to be a part of that practice. And I've learned, you know, if you've got things to bring, if you've got experience to bring, you can sell yourself on that and, and put those things into place. So you've from my point of view, I have to be working in a practice where they're open to accept the way I work because that's the way I do it. I've learned, I've tried and tested everything, and I will present to you the way I work. And I will then facilitate gentle changes within the systems and the team to support my way of practicing. And certainly, I think it builds possibly confidence in you in the long run that you're going to make it work because you've asked the questions that you know you need to make it work, yes. you know, in the long run. Because Absolutely. you're doing yourself an injustice, really, and the patients and the practice, if you go there for an interview, hoping you're going to get the job and then realising that the layout and the, you know, the formula that's currently in place isn't going to work for you and does need to work in the long run for you to stay and also for your patients ultimately at the end of everything we're doing to be receiving I guess the best care 100% you know a happy team ha has happy patients you know there's no two ways about it if, if we're feeling disempowered or unmotivated you know how enthusiastic are we really going to be about telling the patient the information you know how do we deliver that preventive advice if we're fed up ourselves you know and let's face it we have to say the same stuff a lot of times over and over <laughs> for people to to make the smallest of changes so you know we've got to feel motivated and 100%. we've got to feel valued and and you know I, I don't know I go to work I put on my game face when I get to the door my life Everything outside stays outside. It stays at home. And I just, I step out onto that stage. It's a very professional environment for me. And uh, I'm very serious about it. You know, I don't bring my outside life to work. Full stop. Just does not happen oh, ever. Done. You know, yeah. and, and I think if we have that mindset that, you know, it builds that perception of value if we value ourselves that much you know and our patients also perceive the professionalism then they're, they're they're far more trusting of us when we're confident about the information we give to them and let's face it the worst thing that can happen is the patient can say no thanks I don't want that and it's not a personal rejection it's just they don't want it it's okay you just have to really get your head around it's not personal which I think that takes time too doesn't it I don't oh, know if you found that percent and also knowing you've done your best and having yeah. that insurance in you that you're always doing your best. And like you said, like you couldn't be more professional. You're, you leave everything behind and it, it's like a show. You go on stage and you're performing your absolute yeah. best for the profession. 
your yeah. reputation and ultimately for patients every day. Yeah. So thank you. And I, I mean, Mel, as well, for newly qualified hygienists that are listening, therapists, you know, it's easier for us to discuss this having, well, you've been qualified for 25 years. I have been qualified um, for 16 now. You know, it is easier, but getting a mentor or someone to bounce ideas off, even if they're preparing for an interview, would you be happy to talk to people? Or how would you advise? Because there are lots of people out there that I'm sure can help hygienists and therapists newly qualified going for interview. What would you say would be the best way to get advice for an interview? I think it's a really good question, actually, Victoria. And I think on reflection, 25 years ago, it was actually quite difficult to meet other practicing hygienists and therapists. You know, we didn't have to go on courses. So, and, you know, we didn't have social media where we connected with people. So thinking over the years, actually, it's it's a really good point. It's really invaluable to have your peers support you and ask those questions. And I think, yes, choosing a mentor, not assuming everybody has the best advice for you as well. True. You know, what I'm saying now is not going to suit everyone. Uh, you know, we're all made differently. We have different personalities. So finding the right mentor. And, and my mentors are, uh, one of my mentors is a dentist. He's a he's a principal of a practice. He's been my mentor for 25 years. Um, so he he kind of is my barometer and my guide, you know, and that if he says, no, 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 <laughs> then I tend to think, okay, I definitely shouldn't say that out loud. And then sometimes clinically, I will turn to to friends and colleagues. I would turn to people like yourself. I will turn to my association, the Dental Therapy Association. The British Association of Dental Therapists is key. You know, those guys uh, are there to guide you. And asking the questions in your regional groups, you will find like-minded people that can then guide you, which I think is also really great. So yeah, having a mentor is a great thing. I'm always happy to communicate with my friends and colleagues. It, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure. And I think you never validate that. Yeah. And you never stop learning along that journey. You know, someone asks you a question, you give your answer and then you learn something in return somehow you know it's it's an ever evolving process as well I think so from for me I love to support and guide friends and colleagues as much as I like to be supported by them and I think it's no question's a silly question is it really I think we should just ask anything and um and be open to ask anything we because I think we also think that oh it's a silly question I could never ask that but actually it's not true really it's the question that everyone's burning desire to know the answer sometimes you know oh Mel you are so approachable though and you know this is a reason as well that you know I, of where you are today in in your experience and how you share this with people because you 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 keep it so real and you know it's so like you say there's no silly question and you know it's so important to feel that you have those colleagues around you that you can talk to and knowing that it's not a silly question like you say so I'm sure people will definitely be in contact with you Mel (laughs) (laughs) and another thing that I would also just like to go into in a bit more depth from what you've just said is the the 
the cost associated with treatment. Because especially after qualifying, for us as clinicians, it can seem like quite a high price to pay for certain treatments. So knowing your value, you briefed on that. What other advice would you give hygienists or therapists maybe unsure about or just not feeling confident? Because I personally feel if you really believe in something, the person that you're talking to will really believe in it too. Yeah. But how do you build up, how do you get to the point where you've built up that confidence that you feel very sure about that price that you've associated with that treatment and also the treatment planning and proposing treatment planning for patients how do you approach that what advice would you give for people that may be struggling with this okay yeah I I think I would sort of reflect back to my my younger years really here when I first worked in a practice where we moved and transitioned from being an NHS practice to a private practice and I had to get my head around um, offering patients a treatment plan with a fee attached to it. And the the long and the short of it is, you know, you have to say it out loud to a patient in front of you a few times and then you build your confidence. It's like anything um, that we do for the first time. We're nervous about it. But what we do know is we know there are no shortcuts in dentistry. We know that. So if we want to provide the best possible service, we have to plan it in a phased approach to treatment. So we can't treat patients all within one scale and polish appointment that, you know, because if that were the case, everybody's disease would be equal and everybody's treatment would be equal and the outcome would be equal. Whereas actually we need to focus on what that individual needs. That takes time. We need to communicate well with them about what they need and feel confident to say out loud what that fee is for that treatment and it only comes really by just saying it out loud sitting back and letting the patient then ask you questions so if we don't value the service the periodontal therapy program that we are putting the patient into or recommending if we don't perceive that as a good option for the patient the patient will see that from the start from the outset they'll smell a rat if you're not confident so if you know that you're acting within that patient's best interest to provide them with periodontal therapy and you explain the treatment procedure and the fees involved the patient then has the opportunity to ask you questions. So from the outset, most normal patients will say, oh, okay, so how much would that be? Or or you might say, it's going to cost X, Y, and Z. And the patient might say, well, that's a lot of money. Um, And you may say, well, that's a fair enough question. The treatment is phased over four, five, six stages or what have you. And we can spread the costs for you if you're comfortable with that. So it's knowing the answers to the questions before the patients have asked them. And that does come with experience, but it also comes from from training and courses. You know, there are courses out there in communication and business development so that we, you know, a lot of the time, Victoria, we are providing periodontal therapy and charging it out as a scale and polish you know we're trying to give the patient their best and we're trying to do everything to them and you know what we actually are then undersold and and where it's a deficit actually in the financial side of the practice because you're trying to give the patient more within that appointment rather than structure a planned approach to the treatment and again it's okay for a patient to say no as long as we have 
answered all of their questions and documented that well in the notes as to why the patient didn't want to proceed with treatment and then offering them further options to support the patient until they're perhaps ready to proceed with treatment. So looking at it as a long game rather than a yes or a no, it would be helpful. And change the process, as we were discussing actually earlier, you know, it takes time. Um, And you shared just a lovely example that I'd like to highlight in your answers and how you you communicate with the patient, you know, like you said, oh, maybe it's quite a lot of money and validating their question. That is a fair question. And then going and giving them the options. Um, And it it goes with the communication that is so important with what we do. And you're right, experience does help in this, but going on courses, and there are courses available on communication, is key, isn't it? Yeah. And I think, yeah, and also just being able to describe the process of periodontal therapy in its best is really important to the patient because, you know, we could say to the patient, we're going to clean under your gums. We're going to give your teeth a good old cleanup. It just doesn't quite hit it, you know. And it's to explain how we are going to specifically remove the deposits, the bacteria, the toxins that are causing the damage and the inflammation. And this is quite a specific process because we do it all the time, we sort of take it for granted, you know, that we know how to do that. So we've got to get across to the patients, you know, sometimes we might be using local anaesthetics, we might be using three or four different mediums of uh, cleaning instruments, hand instruments, ultrasonics, air polishing systems, what have you, they all cost money, but they all give good results if they're used well. So it's important that the patient's don't automatically devalue to a scale and polish because I think patients associate hygienists with cleaning teeth. And, you know, we are way more than that, you Mm. know. And um, I think one of my things that really makes me passionate is when, when you meet patients that either have their life is debilitating because they have no teeth, you know, they cannot eat, they cannot smile, um, or they are they have periodontally involved teeth and it's changing their life for the negative. And, you know, if you can help a few of those patients change their lives and have a better quality of life, I mean, how valuable actually is oh, that? Yeah. No, you're so right. And I think, Alors, you've just highlighted again, you know, what it comes down to is the description and not undervaluing. And like you said... You know, we use, utilise our tools every day, may it be the ultrasonic, and we forget the the sheer cost and the value that goes into mm. yeah. the machine itself and knowing how to really get the most out of it, our training and utilising it and all the additional skill sets on top, it, it becomes our life. But yeah. communicating that again to the patient and using the right choice of words, yeah. which, you know, the topics, interestingly so, that seem to come back again and again through speaking to experienced leading professionals within our profession is yeah the choice of words and the communication and it's fundamentally the key right yeah absolutely I, I think just listening to you reflect back there something I think is was helpful for me I I don't believe in scripts what I'm saying there is I don't believe I would write a script for you to read to your patient. What I believe in is scripts for myself. So I know that a patient is likely to ask me questions based around 
Will it hurt me? How long is it going to take? How much is it going to cost? And um, and so on. So I can generate a pool of my best answers about that. I can write myself a script on how best to describe the treatment plan and the intervention following the plan. So, you know, again, getting patients through treatment, they they do need to understand they've got a life sentence of maintenance and care and possible relapse, right? So we need them to be prepared for that. You know, no, no implant surgeon is going to place implants without mentioning the fact that you need to have the best relationship with your hygienist or therapist to take care of you because you can't take care of that stuff on your own. You need that intervention. So you can't half make the investment is what I'm saying, I guess. But going back to that, I think personal scripts, just to get you feeling confident about using high value words to um, promote the treatment options to a patient. And then the skill of listening, Victoria. Listening is key. Speak less, listen more. Without a doubt, I was an expert at interrupting patients. I was an expert at it for years and I never really understood why my patients were always so annoyed with me or irritated. And it's because I used to finish the sentences for them. I mean, how bad is that? But we're I've taught now... to tell, show and do yeah, and teach exactly. them. Exactly. And we still do tell, show and do, although I think open questions gives the patient so much more control of making the right decision for themselves. So speak less, listen more, and then reflect back to the, the patient. And you you find the patient will arrive at the right decision. Um, and they're normally really, really, they're really grateful when you've spent time explaining that it's really important to catch the disease process as early as possible, for example. I'm really grateful for that early intervention that sometimes perhaps if we're caught in the heat of the moment of a quick appointment, we absolutely don't have time to do that. No, it's so true. And again, I always lo- learn so much from you, Mel. <laughs> That's why I always <laughs> love talking to you. I will never stop learning from you. But you also highlighted a very good point there that you can read books on communication and behavioural change and there are naturally scripts in there. But we are all unique and different and we have our own unique voice. And it's not possible, is it, to copy someone else's script? You've got to find your own natural words that's you because that's what's your unique um, selling point, but not selling point, unique quality about every hygienist clinician is you are all individual and not every clinician is right for everyone. But to be very authentic in how you speak about something um, that will resonate with the patients, but using your own words to do that and having the answers, like you said, to those main questions that pretty much most patients are going to ask. And yeah. and you know those questions, listeners, because you're getting them day in, day out. Write a top list of them and maybe write yeah. the best way of you feel that would be appropriate yeah. in answering them. I think you're right, Victoria, and, you, and I know... you. You love the subject of communication, and I think I we can all we can all study some level of communication skills, some level of formula. You know, for example, I messages will bring a person towards us. A you message will send them away. So, saying to an individual, "You have gum problems. You need treatment," isn't quite the same as "I'm concerned about your gum health. I'd like to talk with you a little bit more. Is that okay?" You know, I'm asking the person for permission to give them information. And, you know, simple things, not using the word but, unless you're feeling particularly animated, which I do sometimes. But, you know, it's choosing when to use the right word. So 
iMessages are key for me. Reflection is massive. So building rapport and reflecting back. And then I, I'm, I, um, I was reading a thread just recently about um, someone had written, you know, I, they had seen a patient and just basically said, you know what, your gum disease is bad. This is not good. What you know, really a forthright. You've got a problem. It needs addressing. And the person had said, in my younger self, I never would have done that. I would have tippy-toed around to try to subtly get the message across. And you know what? You definitely, when you mature, you you learn how to use the carrot and the stick at the right times. Sometimes we need to use a stick. And sometimes we need a carrot, and you know, you—you—it's an intuitive thing, and I—and I'm not—I'm not saying that to devalue anyone who's a newly qualified individual. I'm saying be open to be your best self in learning to communicate really well, because it's the tool that you need more than any other in this job, without a doubt. And quite rightly so. I wish. I had access to know the stuff that you're speaking about now when I newly qualified or even a couple of years ago when I didn't know what maybe I know now and still what I didn't know before our conversation that I do know now. I I agree. I agree. And you know what, Victoria, sometimes it doesn't go to plan. Sometimes you just don't click with a patient. Sometimes things just don't work out. And you know what? It is what it is. It will happen. And we all have to move on. And the person, the patient may need to see someone, not you, you know, and, and that's okay. If they yeah. don't want to do it with you, that, you know, the treatment, that's yeah. fine. Go go with someone else and, and get the service. But, you know, what I won't do is I won't, um, I won't reduce the treatment options to suit the patient. So I won't compromise on the level of care I give to the patient. I will tell them what I believe is right for them and they can come to the decision. And I will support them whatever they decide. So if they can't proceed with treatment, I will see them more regularly until if and when they can. You know, but what I won't do is compromise. I won't half do something because I know it won't work. Yeah, And finding the right path for them. Mm, absolutely and this all leads to what we said we'd speak about today about working effectively and efficiently to really get the most out of where you are in practice because if you're able to implement these aspects I feel this podcast is just not going to be long enough to discuss (laughs) everything we need to discuss today so I I know there will be another one very soon (laughs) but these elements essentially what have we highlighted on so far um being forthright in an interview, asking questions in an interview, going to find out if this is the right practice for you, talking about um, the cost and the value of your and knowing how to start talking about it. And that's okay. And these are all going to help in you working efficiently and effectively and feeling fulfilled within your workplace. And so are there any other aspects that, because I know there are not, there's not enough time to discuss all of them now. What would you yeah. like to highlight next that you feel could would, be valuable to a, pay, uh, a I would say, you know, um, if you find a practice and it and you're working within it and it and it's kind of it's it's okay, you like it, you know it's got a good value and ethos to it. But there are a few things that you feel you'd want to iron out. I'd go in with the intention of doing that. You know, don't go out to find the perfect job. Go out to find the job where you can fit in and build and grow within that team. Um I would say don't ever take no from an answer from any practice manager or principal. Always ask them why they're saying no. Don't walk off and accept that. Um, Because often 
they're just saying, no, I need more information. So I'd say go prepared. If you need new equipment and so on, get it priced up, find out what's needed, find out how you're going to return on that investment. How many patients do you need to see to realistically pay off that piece of equipment? It's a no-brainer. Um, never let patients leave without an appointment, whether it's their next recare or whether it's their next appointment. Usher your patients to the reception area, hand over and um, schedule the next appointment with them. Can I just say something about that? That is a challenge because I've implicitly believed in this process from when I started doing it soon into qualifying because I felt that always, you know, the uptake of patients was, you know, much, you know, they'd always return because they know that you've booked them in and they value mm. the time and you've you've booked them. So they've committed then and there. And that for me was has always really worked but then you can go into practice and they're like no no this is not how it works here but yeah. how would you overcome that when the new practice manager like you said you ask why always or the principal is oh my wi-fi saying it's weak are you still there mel can, yeah i'm yeah, still here still there. this is what happens when we record in different parts of the country <laughs> etc but this <laughs> is the nature of the podcast um but yeah how do you how would you broach that when they are really quite insistent about saying, no, we don't want you taking your patients out, send a message through? Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good question. You know, um, it, it's, it's not a life or death situation. Some practices, logistically, you can't escort your patients to the reception area. You know, you have to make a system work for you. Or each and every one of us have a role to play. So it's fine if I decide I want to take the patient out. But if I haven't informed the, the team on the benefit of me doing that, they're just going to look at me and go, what on earth are you doing at the reception? So, you know, it, it has to be a planned process. So it may not, you know, it for me, it's it's just a defining part of my recare. I build my practice on returning patients. I give them a reason to return. We book them in and we send them recare. That's the rule. So over time, we've developed, we've gone through that in training. Why is it important? That's one thing I would I would say. It's not critical to have to stand there. It's not a deal breaker. It, it, you know, as I say, it may not work for everyone. You may have to consider doing that a slightly different way. Although I know from experience, it's it really does create good value for the patient to return. And I I have a very high um, return rate with my patients. I have a very low failure rate. I mean, one, one a month at the most. It, it's rare a patient does not attend for me. So I build value for them to return because I want to look after them. Yeah. Um, and if you're challenged within the workplace about doing something that you maybe implicitly believe is the right workflow for you, you know, say, like you said, why do you not want this and share the value? Yeah, absolutely. So something like a lunch and learn can help the team understand the value of prevention and perio treatment, for example. And it helps if the team are on board for us to better communicate why we don't do everything in a one half an hour appointment, you know, why we may want one hour for our initial consultation with the patient to take indices and discuss treatment and so on, why we might want to see them every month for oral hygiene, you know, and so on and so on. But, you know, it's all about planning and teamwork. My way is not the highway. I'm open to learn, you know. 
Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, well, that's just great, Mel. And I think that just goes back to my point about you being so approachable as well. We are where we are in our career now. We will constantly be students of life yeah. and our profession and continuing to learn. But with your wealth of experience as well, you know, also totally still changing things when you need to change things. It happens, you know, on a daily basis, doesn't it? Absolutely. Mel, thank you so much for your time. You're amazing. I continue to learn so much from you. And I know the listeners will have learned something from this podcast today. Please write in and let us know what you have learned, any challenges you're going through, anything you'd like to speak to Mel about more interviews, justifying the finance or the cost of anything. Um, And yeah, making the process work, be effective and efficient within the workplace. And we've only touched on a few things. We've got a lot more to touch on. So like I said, I know myself and Mel, if Mel's happy to, um, we'll be recording something again for you listeners. But Mel, just before we go, can I just ask you, it's the Smart Revolution Fire Round. What's your proudest moment in your career? Oh, without a doubt. I was dental nurse of the year in about 1980-something. It was a local newspaper competition and I had to write a poem. Well, we didn't have to write a poem. You had to write in about why you liked your job. And I wrote a poem and uh, I won the competition. And I, I, I actually can't remember what I won. I think I might have won a dental nurse's uniform or something oh, but it was definitely wow. one of my proudest oh I lovely i didn't know that thanks for sharing <laughs> and what would you, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you in dentistry um oh my goodness there are some uh one that happened to me was when i was a patient and my friend was the dental nurse and she let go of the suction tip and the, the wide bore aspirator shot up in the air and sucked onto the forehead of the dentist so I was looking up at a dentist <laughs> with a suction stuck to his forehead so oh yeah, that went that went well in history. <laughs> my gosh I don't think I've ever seen that wow I'm sure so many people have got funny things to share haven't they well that is I can picture it all um and what would you like to see change for our profession for the future I I think what I would love to see, what would be my nirvana, would be dental hygienists and therapists being empowered to deliver the level of care they believe is right within that team setting. So definitely that transition from the old-fashioned scale and polish that we move away to something more comprehensive that really reflects the value of what we do as a profession. Oh, thank you so much, Mel. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And if you are interested to get in touch with Melanie Preble, please do get in touch with us through the Smile Revolution. We're on Instagram, Smile Revolution underscore podcast, My Smile Revolution, Facebook, emails, info at Smile Revolution, smile-revolution.net. Um, or tag us in any of your posts and we'd, we'll definitely get back to you. And thank you again for sharing all your experience, knowledge and what you've learnt um, and your time. Thank you, Victoria. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it, rate it and leave a review. I can't wait to learn how this recording 
has impacted you. Don't forget to take advantage of the incredible 50% off subscriber offer on the special training at the Dense Blycerona Academy on the 27th of March 2020. Visit densepliceronacom forward slash smallrevolution and enter the promo code SMAL5 when you book. And lastly, don't forget to like, subscribe and follow the Smile Revolution on social media for more content. Please engage in the comment section. I will read all and respond to as many as possible. The podcast audio is available on all major platforms and video content on the podcast can now be found on the Smile Revolution YouTube channel. To stay up to date on all Smile Revolution projects, subscribe to the Smile Revolution newsletter by emailing info at smile-revolution.net stating subscribe to newsletter. Thanks so much for joining me and being part of the Smile Revolution.